Welcome back, friends, to the Wild Isle podcast. I have with me today the great and evil sorcerer and wizard, Nathaniel Cumberledge. Yeah, it's me again. Uh, some of you may remember me from the last episode I was on, I guess, but maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, we were just about uh, Dark Enlightenment Mises Smallbook, uh, also known as Curtis Yarvin. That's his actual name. Yeah. Um, yeah, so today we're going to be talking uh, a little bit about the incel phenomenon, though I think by the time we get into the conversation, it will uh, branch out, especially insofar as we've talked about it in, in private. But before we begin, uh, I need to show some things. So if you're interested in weird fantasy fiction, I am an author. Uh, my book, Wand Smoke Broken, is out on Amazon. Go check it out. If you go onto my website, wildislelit.com, you can listen to the first chapter for free. I did an audio recording. It's great. Go check it out. Also, if you're looking for an editor, someone to either just proofread, uh, do line edits or developmental editing on your work, your manuscript, you can hire me. I love to work with you guys. Um, it's really fulfilling, and I have helped other people improve their writing. I don't. It's not just, uh, let's say, me looking over your work, you making some changes and done. It's uh, especially at the developmental level, you get some deep, rich advice. Um, I, I do have a background in this. I have a master's in creative writing. So uh, hire me as an editor. I'd love to work with you. Uh, also, my webpage, you can query me there. Uh, it's wildislelit.com. Uh, lastly, if you happen to be a Wheeling local, Wheeling, West Virginia local, and you're listening to this podcast, I'm going to be doing uh, a bunch of free lecture series starting out at the Ohio County Public Library uh, on uh, the philosophy of writing. What this is going to be is a breakdown of the conceptual skills that you need to be able to practice the practical skills when it comes to writing. So, um, you know, no one can read or write. You know you can't read or write, or your kids can't read or write, uh, or your, your, your friends, your neighbors, you're all literates. Come, <laughs> to my, come to my lecture, learn what uh, writing is, learn what your teachers are too incompetent to teach you. All right. Uh, I think yeah, his, bu his book's pretty good. You should, you should get, at least give it a look. It's Nice. Absolutely. All right, Nate, let us uh, get into this. So for our listeners who very, I mean, I doubt anyone listening to this doesn't know what the hell incel is, <laughs> uh, but for our listeners who may be uh, ignorant of the internet, uh, what what the hell is an incel? Okay, incel is an involuntary celibate. So somebody who can't find a partner, mostly men, um, though there are Fem cells. That's a it's a different topic, kind of weird thing. Anyway, so the incel community is people who self-identify as such and are infamous on the internet for various reasons. Yeah, let's talk a bit about that. So, self-identify. Um, what do we what do we mean by that? Uh, so, they say that they identify as incels. So, like from an academic standpoint, and studies about incels or people who do not engage in regular relationships, uh, the definition is much more broad. Like uh, I was just reading about uh, the topic from the University of London or UT or something like that. Anyway, so they consider the definition to be much more broad, while the incel community considers it actually to be very narrow with some, like, side categorizations. Um, somebody who self-identifies as an incel in the incel community is going to be somebody who is totally 
isolated and atomized from the social life of the modern world, more or less. It's a very bleak way to live, while, like, universities will be like, anybody who has, like, been isolated from human contact, especially human sexual contact, for this amount of time can be considered an incel for this purpose, etc. Yeah, so it seems like the academic definition um, is a kind of description, whereas the, let's say, inter-community, or should be intra-community definition for incel is a kind of... um, would say almost attitude and outlook that is uh, derived from particular or perhaps an array of particular conditions. Yeah. Is that is that right? Yeah, I would say so. Um, the one thing about uh, the incel community is that it, even though it's technically connected to celibacy, it has very little to do actually with uh, lack of access to sex because there's like subcategories like people who have maintained the same attitude but who do have relationships called fake cells and then you've got uh escort cells and then you've got there's some categorization yeah and but it's 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 a mindset more than it is an actual prescripted way of being i guess yeah so for those of you who might have heard a noise there are cats that might be jumping on our table so <laughs> uh, be aware of that but aside from these cats um yeah because when i often hear the word incel used um let's say if i was in grad school right we actually had a, a woman come up and um, talk about her book which i can't remember which book it was but it was atrocious and she had the standard um third or fourth i don't know what you want to call it that probably fourth wave feminist view that like the incels were uh chauvinist pigs who believed themselves to be um, I don't want to use the word, I mean, I do want to use the word owed, but uh, essentially that that sex was entitled, that's the word I want to get to. Uh, yeah. They are entitled to sex like it's a, like a service uh, or a civil right, which, by the way, I'm going to write an essay that I don't think civil rights exist, but <laughs> that's neither here nor there. Um, natural rights exist, I think. Uh, civil rights are, we're so in nonsense. Anyway, um, yeah, so the, the feminists would say that incels are people who are believe that they are owed sex as an entitled civil right. The irony is people with the confidence to maintain that attitude are genuinely actually pretty successful in that arena. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't really ever find it to be um, accurate, really, uh, because it's it's not, uh, you know, you could take the most uh, despicable person who happens to self-identify as an incel and they are not advocating that they have uh, sex redistributed to them by the state yeah no this is actually a topic that i've brought up as a no, as a meme non sequitur when talking with people with socialist leanings is actually like i'll just out of nowhere bring up well how do ugly people get laid under communism as a kind of gag and uh, usually they don't have an ad- they don't have an adequate answer for it. And they're like, oh, because like in uh, capitalist societies or Western society or most societies, it's like your uh, ability to achieve in society, your influence, and sometimes even your wealth can be a boon to somebody who would otherwise be pretty plain. Uh, yeah, absolutely, especially on the um, male side of things. Yes, right. Um, which is interesting because I find a lot of incels fixate on the physiology. 
Yes. Um, and perhaps it's because that's immutable. Um, mm-hmm. Like, uh, a lot of them get uh, the black pill, which is like doomer. <laughs> I keep using internet terms to describe internet terms. So, like, a form of nihilism is the black pill or doomerism, where you get overly fixated on something that absolutely cannot change and you let it destroy your entire life and outlook. So, like, whenever it comes to things like how you look or a physical characteristic, people can get very hooked on that. Specifically, I think I've seen height is one. Height is the biggest one. Uh, Even bigger than the ones you think would be more important. Which, by the way, uh, our listeners, if you don't know, actually, height is something that can cut down your dating chances. Probably like some terrorist, well, specifically when it comes to modern dating that utilizes communication technologies such as dating apps, because mm-hmm. uh, women will just go in there and say, no one under six foot or no one under six foot three. And I believe if I heard the statistics right last, that reduces the amount of people available down to like 3% of the men there. Yeah, some uh, when you go over six three over uh, six foot, I think it's like eighteen, uh, which is right under the per, like, the Pareto distribution. Yeah, uh, but we'll get into female hypergamy later. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I guess what I wanted to uh, to get around to is that this doesn't actually seem to have anything to do with sex or celibacy. Not and, solely, no, no. Um, I I have uh, an idea about what it has to do with it. I don't want to go into a bunch of uh, archetypal nonsense as I always do. But before I do, um, what do you, from your research, Nate, and your uh, interact, you have more interactions, I think, with people on the internet in general than I do. Yeah, this actually might be one of your most listened to episodes just because of where I'm going to post it afterwards. (laughs) (laughs) To all my short kings out there, I'm going to bat for you guys. (laughs) Anyway. Never heard that term, short king. It's a, it's a term of empowerment for my manlet brothers. I'm 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 six one. I, I make the cut. But I don't actually. I, this is this is something funny for for people who don't know us. So I'm like five eight. I'm actually well, that's that's actually average height. But like you feel like a short motherfucker, <laughs> and everyone else around you is. Uh, is over six foot. So I'm envious of Nate and his goddamn height. <laughs> Can't compete. It's all right. I hunch all the time. Anyway. So. It's true. It's like if you're familiar with Death Note, like L is over like six foot, but he's hunched over so everyone thinks he's short. Uh, that's what Nate is exactly like. Uh, yeah. In fact, he's sitting in his chair. Like, no, he's not sitting in his chair. Like L with his feet all jumped up. <laughs> go ahead, Nate, and... Uh, and and tell us what you think this incel phenomenon is actually about. Okay, uh, there's a combination of things. Uh, one notable thing is being a Nietzschean person, I believe that it is important in the male psyche to be able to, uh, the best way to refer to it as affect space. So, or discharge strength is another way to put it. I think that's one of the ones Nietzsche used. Anyway, so... Um, um, Part of any human desire is to be desired, which is an extension of power, because, like, to be desired in a biological sense from a reproductive standpoint is somebody thought that you were worth enough to carry on your genetics to the next generation and all that nonsense. So, um, in that sense, I think that uh, whenever I've talked to incels or self-identified incels who have had, like, shorter relationships in the past or ones that regularly engage in, um, uh, in prostitution or other 
activities like that as they do exist those people do not feel like they've been alleviated of the incel label because they're still looking for something and that something is that uh that the the component of being desired by the opposite sex rather than just being engaged with them yeah so celibacy then would be like see for yeah. the for the thing that we're actually looking at um which is kind of like an ability to fulfill one's own will to power power just being your ability to um, meet your desires in the world yeah some are more aware of this element of it than others uh an important note that i wanted to mention is people usually lately in pop culture have associated this as a right-wing phenomenon uh if you've seen things like the chud jack and the norwood memes but uh the reality is according to the university of london um, only 38.85% of incels identify as, as right-leaning, while 44.7% identify as left-leaning, 17.47% identify as centrist. So, um, and they each have a different opinion generally how their politics uh, connect to the celibacy thing. Right-leaning people tend to identify with that, how, like, I need to feel like I'm affecting the world sort of mentality, while uh, leftist men tend to cling to more uh, MRA-ish ideas and more progressive ideas of like men being treated unfairly as a civil rights issue, which obviously I think is less viable, but I understand where they're coming from in a world where that's like the biggest thing in the world. Yeah, for those who don't know, MRA are men's rights activists. Um, there are a lot of different subgroups under that umbrella. Um, you've got, uh, I guess, a lot of MGTOW are also uh, MRAs by definition. Yeah. Um, essentially, you could think of, uh, of them as similar to, really, I think, first wave feminism, in that they have a, a, co like a couple specific issues that make the brand right so like yeah like they're not they're not particularly defined by their relation to anything else in the political sphere but they cling to like they're single issue voters on a hand oh, voters quote because you don't really vote on these issues because nobody cares about these issues in the mainstream but they have like five things that they tend to connect to they don't let they uh the ones that tend to be centrist or left-leaning tend to talk about that how they don't like male disposability uh preference for females and in institutions, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, it, it boils down to uh, fairness in family court and uh, the draft a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, and then the, by extension, uh, you mentioned not having preferential programs based on sex. Yes. Uh, and the reason why they oppose those is because, believe it or not, women are the, the sole, uh, the sex lines, the sole beneficiaries for programs I guess unless you're going to be like a frontline combatant and like an officer in the military, yeah, like uh, that's about the only uh, <laughs> uh, the only avenue in which there aren't, let's say, uh, institutional uh, biases in a direction. So, okay, so we are identifying the right wing ones, uh, you know, and and we should probably define left and right wing really quickly too. Um, I want to the ones that post frogs and the ones that post walls of text on Twitter. <laughs> That's a good way to tell them apart. The the, the Pepe memes being typically right wing uh, 
that wasn't always the case, by the way, uh, ye friends of the internet, but uh, Hillary Clinton made a kerfuffle uh, during her campaign and got Pepe the Frog associated with Trump, but then Trump got associated with the alt-right, which he doesn't actually have very much to do with because he, to the alt-right, I'm pretty sure is a Jewish shill and supporter of Israel. So absolutely, uh, if you don't know about any of this, uh, the <laughs> mainstream media is lying. So anyway, um, but I want to actually give a, a decent definition. I think for most cases, it doesn't all isn't all encompassing, but um, what we're looking at is a combination of um, traditionalism and exclusivity versus progressivism and inclusivity. So the right wing side of things are going to be, uh, let's say, they're going to lean more traditionalist, more conservative, and uh, that is out of the idea of exclusion or uh, desire for hierarchy and excellence which hierarchies then produce um, and then the on the left you've got progressivism so that's an abandonment of uh, let's say former institutions um, usually in order to either change the hierarchy uh, or to usually to destroy it via inclusion um, and I don't want to get into like the concepts of philosophical explosion because we're now very far in a field from talking about incels. <laughs> so we've got the right wing incels. They uh, they lean more toward this idea that a man should fulfill his will to power. Yeah. Right. And um, so mostly there are some that are just as simple as they wish they had what their grandparents had in regards to like, oh, I wish society was like more people tended to date long term and marry and, you know, plan to have children in a timely manner and all that stuff. But I think that that is like an extension of that personally. But um, some of them have discarded that notion. Yeah, I would agree. Even if they don't think that it is. Yeah. Uh, I always like to do this as fun. So uh, preface beyond good and evil. Suppose truth were a woman. <laughs> then, and when Nietzsche says that, he's kind of saying like the truth is that is which is, which um, is uh, Aquinas's uh, definition, I believe, for God. And God, I use kind of as a metaphor, like I got from Jordan Peterson, is like God is the objective universe fundamentally. In fact, if you want to play a fun game, you just go into uh, anything that like you know, art or like the Bible itself or whatever, and then switch God out for like the objective universe. And then it kind of works. Yeah. Uh, and then that's how you kind of know the archetype works. But anyway, supposing truth were a woman, it's kind of like saying, well, suppose the objective universe is a woman and you're a man. And like when you encounter a woman as a man, she's kind of like the judge to determine whether you deserve to exist. And so this kind of ties in the celibacy proxy here, um, whether or not the, I think, uh, to be honest, I think this would apply to all the incels, and it's just a matter of awareness of this being the case. But let's say for the right-wing ones, um, they are aware that on some level they are being determined as not worthy of existence for a lack of, uh, let's say, manifestation of heroic male masculine virtue. So it's like the objective universe is like looking at them scornfully with disgust and pointing and saying, not you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's that's a pretty, pretty good description of it. Yeah. Um, that is that is indeed why uh, it's probably like the subconscious region, why a rejection feels so bad to a lot of these people or just people in general, is that like it's a fundamental rejection of your existence and the continuation of your bloodline in a way. So 
Like yeah, you yeah. may not consciously be aware of it, but deep inside your monkey brain or lizard brain, you know. It's very unfortunate. <laughs> well, so let's move on to the centrist. So centrist incels, what's their... Uh, I think that, that, well, the one I know best is just, uh, I think he got scared out of the idea of relationships by the weird boom of, uh, like, reporting of false ra rape accusations in the early 2010s. And just never really got into it. It's not like, I don't think that they have a, like a clear cut ideological mindset behind it. It's just like, uh, I'm better off without all that. And, uh, I don't, I should have talked to him more before this, uh, interview actually, so, that, because he's the best example I have. That, that's a decent example actually, because, you know, the rational part of my brain says like, surely no one is that terrified of having their, uh, life and reputation destroyed because of, uh, let's say the uh, the the tone and tenor and atmosphere around modern dating. But if you actually think about it, if you even uh, say you're a young man, you want to approach a, a young woman, and you go to do so, and if she rejects you, it's like you know, we go back thirty, forty years. She might tell her circle of friends, uh, which is going to be relatively small over the phone. Most of them are going to forget. And they, and especially if you're in like an urban environment, they're not going to even care or know who you are. Yeah. Now, imagine that with modern social media and the permanency of the Internet, which means that if she thinks, even if, if everything is just a simple rejection, like you got to ask of her right, to meet you for a cup of coffee, right? Yeah. Like the most milk toast basic, hey, I'm presenting that I might be interested in you romantically. And then she thinks... Oh, man, yeah. These are the kind of people that, like, you ask... Like, people are terrified to approach people now because, like, you ask the wrong person out and they're going to post, like, your... Re post your stuff to social media and be like, this person, this person imagined that they were good enough for me. Everyone point and laugh. <laughs> and, like, it's a humiliation ritual. It's absurd. Yeah, well, things people do to people. The best you could hope for, because I've seen this happen where, um, you know, even if the guy isn't too awkward about it, like maybe he he he's a little persistent, like atheism plus. Yeah, and having flashbacks to atheism plus that was years. This is what took down the new atheist. By the way, the uh, uh, it's it, it's the first manifestations of the woke infection before they were commonly referring to themselves as being woke, which they stopped doing a while back. But um, yeah, it's this idea that I'm going to come up and you can't just get shied away because like, if you do that, then you, you fail the shit test. And like, if yeah. you know, if you're a woman out there listening to this podcast and you don't think that you are testing the men around you to see how courageous uh, and brave they are, you're fooling yourself. Just watch. I bet you go watch your friends do it. Watch your friends do it every single day that you see them interacting with men that they uh, might possibly be attracted to. Okay, so now with that out of the way, yeah, I've seen guys who come up and they. It's not like they're like you know overbearing. They just kind of try a, a couple different approaches, maybe two or three times, and then they get the message. Okay, like. I, I this isn't like a test at this point. This girl is really not interested in me. And then they walk away. I've seen those kind of guys in videos presented as being like creeps, and it's all via framing, right? Because all you have to do is clip clip a cell phone video that like why the hell are you even taking video recording at this time? But that I've seen it because the yeah. videos exist, uh, and then all of a sudden, let's say that your name gets 
uh, bandied about in the video of you get shared, I don't know, 10,000 times by the scroll or friends and all the people that she's ever around. And like, maybe your employer goes to, <laughs> or a potential employer goes to search you up and they find this video because it's going to be the most relevant results on a <laughs> Google search because it got like 10,000 views on YouTube or something. Uh, and so, yeah, like you could, it's actually reasonable to think that uh, your life could be destroyed, or even if it's less than that, man. You know, if you're just worried, like, okay, I live in a small town, and so if I ask, maybe if I ask one girl out, it's not going to be a big deal. But, you know, as a guy, you're going to have to do that, like, oh, probably a hundred times. Yes. Because you're going to get rejected, like, 99 times out of every hundred. Yeah, the only people who get successful at it just have to, well, unless you're just naturally gifted, you're, you're going to be unsuccessful about nine, a thousand times. And so, so why is that a problem? Well, that's a problem because in a small town with social media, you're going to get a reputation, and each rejection is going to increase the chances of both future rejections and also that these rejections are going to exponentially tarnish your reputation. Yes. Right? Because you become you'll become known as that guy. Yes. Right? And so they're essentially trying to get back to the incels. Like in a way I totally understand, you know, becoming neurotically terrified that that's going to happen. Yeah. And that stops you from even trying because it's like you know, why would you? It's like I, because you know, like I'm probably going to fail in this first attempt, but you knowing that the failure is going to destroy you in the future has an extremely high probability. It's like, man. And so that, that I guess the centrist incels uh, are just afraid. Perhaps at least this one is afraid of the consequences. What about the left wing ones? Uh, the left wing ones tend to be, uh, I don't know, people. Like, it, it depends. Like, far-left people are, like, a weird enigma in their mindset to me a lot of the times. But, like, left-leaning people who are good-natured, which do exist, admittedly, but I think they're misguided. But they tend to be uh, just uh, looking at it from, like, a civil rights perspective of uh, this is a problem with a solution. And uh, one of the things that I point to in particular is that there is acknowledgement uh, of inceldom as a sort of like uh, social contagion in some European countries in which uh, it's more like some of the welfare programs and like uh, I think the Netherlands and Germany have like in their budget <laughs> like uh, money for uh, disabled people to get escorts, for example, because they acknowledge that the lack of access to companionship is a psychological issue that can damage people. But, uh, so that's just probably a light example of how they view it. It's like, okay, so we need the, like, people's lack of companionship is a civil rights issue to a degree. Those would probably be the closest people to people who believing that it's owed to them necessarily, but they don't have it in the same vehement, like, misogynist pig method that people, like, strawman them to have it. It's... Yeah, the, the feminist caricature doesn't exist even in the most exemplary examples. Yeah, they tend to be really moderate about that sort of thing. Uh, and although the, most of the like really hardcore misogynist stuff happens as like a group coping mechanism, more or less. Like people make jokes and memes and stuff all the time, but like most of them don't harbor an extreme hatred of women. Like 
Is it sort of like how um, racists are mostly only racist in the abstract, but not actually in the concrete? So like an easy yeah. example is every racist I encounter, uh, I, I talked to them for a few minutes and they got along with me perfectly fine. And then all of a sudden I'm, I'm that, you know, the, the, the stereotypical exclusion yes. to their, yeah. And then so that, and that also happened with their neighbor who happens to be black, who's their best buddy. Yeah. Like literally. <laughs> yeah. All the time. Stuff like that happens all the time. You know, you never know when when stuff like that's gonna happen. <laughs> no, no, it's um, it's it's a facet of human nature that when we need to, uh, what's what's the right term, to have an out group with which we could project animosity, so that that animosity is not only on ourselves and our own shoulders, right? Like if if I'm going to succumb to the prospects of despair or of self disgust, depending on how I interpret it, I can you know, just project that onto an abstraction and like take it out like a, almost like a, a scapegoat or a, um, uh, like burning an effigy. Almost. Things can be generally true without being universally true. And things can be true about a group without it being necessarily the group's fault inherently. So like the meme that I see for this topic in particular is, you can't, it's hard for us to actually genuinely, well, it's hard for incels to genuinely be mad at women because it's like being mad at a dog for barking. They are just confronted with a biological drive that they are doing. So, like, the hypergamy aspect, which we haven't gotten to, but it comes up enough. Um, yeah, we we'll, might as well get into it now. Mate. What is hypergamy? Hypergamy is the propensity for women to, like, chain date up in a sense so like they're trying to find the best dude so they'll be with a dude and then they'll spy something better and they'll trade up and up and up and oh, this is very common among high status or high desire highly desirable women so like women who are very attractive come from rich families etc tend to be highly hypergamous a lot most women are hypergamous in general that's just the biological reality but some take it to a different extreme than others yeah, so this would be something comparable to, uh, let's say, male-typic preference for, uh, I used to say youth infertility, but then I realized youth is redundant because the only reason youth matters is because it is a marker of fertility. So, like, basically, uh, fertility markers in women, so that would be, like, um, hip-to-waist ratio, um, complexion, uh, having, like, you know, thick healthy hair because that signifies that you're well you good good nutrients so you're going to bear or have a higher chance of bearing better offspring facial symmetry those sorts of things yeah so it's it's the it's the female uh measures of attractiveness um and so we what what are they particularly like if you had to say what is it that they're trading up for um, it varies, but uh, societally, most of the time, you're look. The average woman is looking for someone who is confident, assertive, has high market value, and stuff like that. So people who would be normally successful in a given society, which uh, in our society, most of the time, it's people with a lot of money, people who are naturally attractive, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, the, the way I always hear it broken down, it's essentially. Um power uh status which is kind of like influence or fame uh wealth or uh, resources uh and then on on the uh 
those are the, let's say, the things that are actually desired, but typically our biology can't pick those up because, it, you know, how do you pick up wealth? Because like, we didn't evolve with money. Money is a recent technology. Oh, so. that, that's, a, that's another aspect of it because I, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but we're hunter-gatherer monkey people living in like a weird robot dystopia. So like when it comes to our mate selection, a lot of our brains are still wired for the uh, the, the monkey primate hunter-gatherer stuff. But uh, we still, yeah, we still select based on that despite the society being the way it is, which is also why uh, there's like, I forget what the phenomenon is called. It's on the incel wiki, but uh, there's a propensity for women to pick men who are predisposed to violence because that is a survival trait in more primitive societies. So like, this is where you get fandoms for serial killers and all that good stuff. Women are very attracted to the idea of men who can commit violence. Although that's generally good in a sense that they are, they can be protective assets but it also means that you are, can become the victim or target of that anger, violence, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, this is the beauty of the beast phenomenon, right? The idea is, oh, well, he's a beast, but I am the one special maiden who's going to bring him around and tame him and make him <laughs> into, like, the perfect alpha male dad. And he's going to be all the things that I want and none of the things that I don't yeah. because I am so great. Um, yeah, it is. Uh, but. That's uh, typically referred to as like female attraction to the dark triad traits. So those are, um, uh, what is it, psychopathy, Machiavellianism, and narcissism. Yes. And I think the reason why is that those traits are very hard to discern from genuine confidence that is derived from competence in a variety of uh, aspects of life. Because if you imagine someone who's like... Um, a, a skilled tradesman or skilled farmer, but he was also a very competent soldier, uh, and he's you know well educated. Like that guy's gonna co typically come across very confident. You might say almost cocky, but so is the liar, right? Yeah. So the con man, the thief, all that stuff. Yeah. So the scoundrel. So when we're looking at um, hypergamy, to wrap up that definition, it's really it's like the female attraction to that type of. Um, let's say behave, set of behavioral patterns that let's say demarcate uh, sometimes competence, but also a bunch of negative traits that are essentially disguised uh, a disguise to make them look like competence. And so, um, incels often naturally become what we'd say resentful at the fact of hypergamy. Yes. That's a massive one of the one of the massive hangups is just the biological realities of the nature of female selection leads to a lot of nihilism. So yeah, and, and you know, there's some um, you know, I have uh, sympathies are on all sides for this because, like, imagine if you're like a young woman, like I, I, women in general uh, get really resentful of, let's say, what they would describe as a kind of men's shallowness and their biological proclivity. It's like, well, you're just attracted to something that has nothing to do with, like, my character or my person or any virtues that I have. It's just my looks. And then uh, then you just, like, go off and, like, look at other women as they pass. and blah, blah, blah. So I can understand, like, okay, that's the female side. And so for the incels, it's like the same thing, right? It's like yeah. you're just attracted to the resources and the status, all these extrinsic things that actually aren't directly connected to my character. Yeah, like, no, I, I want to clarify that, like, just because I am super sympathetic to the incel cause, 
uh, as a fake cell. <laughs> I, I, I'm married, so I just LARP. But uh, I do not say that women do not have problems, but I believe that the male aspect of it is less addressed. But also, I also believe that part of this is men's fault. Well, maybe not men's fault, but like, their condition could be improved by their actions, but they were just raised in an environment that discouraged them from being suitable mates. Yeah, this is the, uh, I, I think of this as like the Huckleberry Finn problem. So um, in Huckleberry Finn, if you've never read it, you should read it, uh, especially if you're an incel. Go read Huckleberry Finn <laughs> and then go read Conan. Um, <laughs> but, but the thing is, like, he goes to a new town every like what, 11 miles down the river it's like a whole world but in each town a lot of the people there are kind of trapped in this little micro world right because they don't ever really much leave that town and it says as if they don't have new prospects and why would you read that well when you realize dude there's a whole new life just like 11 miles down the river now it's not that's not literally true anymore but like we have car so you can travel further than 11 miles on the East River. <laughs> and there, there are things that you can do but if you've never had and this i think is it's a, a reason for the expansion and explosion of like incels as a phenomenon when you don't have a dad to tell you like hey did you know that actually like you're uh in a sense somewhat master of your own destiny uh to at least like tell you that, to say like hey you know, if you shape up, you can do something like, uh, what is it, clean the room, bucko? Like, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's like there are two character, there are two archetypes of incel: the mommy issues incel, and the daddy issues incel. The what ones are the mommy with, ones? I don't know. Okay, the mother issue incels tend to be. Uh, they're also people that tend to either have absentee fathers or the father is not a powerful presence in their life. And they cling to their mother and their mother, due to not understanding the stuff very deeply, gives a false impression of what women actually want out of a man. So, like, I think we've talked about this before, the idea that women give bad dating advice, not because they don't know what women want, but because they're giving the advice under the auspices that the man who is doing the thing is they're all, they're already attracted to that guy. So if a woman says, "Oh, I wish he'd buy me flowers or something," that is assuming an attractive man is buying me flowers, not some loser. It's um, it's like they they start with the assumption that I'm attracted to this first, not what am I attracted to, and they are less conscious of that, so they don't give advice about that. So they are raised by a parent like that if they're even given any advice on it at all and they are set up to fail not on purpose but accidentally but it does create a sort of resentment in that child if he ever grows up and realizes wait i've been incorrectly informed about the nature of these things yeah i imagine that goes further than something like dating advice well, that would be a catastrophe if you yeah, get that's true that's life in general the mom, the the man with mommy issues becomes the alt right Hitler poster in a lot of circumstances. <laughs> okay, so yeah, daddy issues man becomes like uber leftist, mommy issues man becomes uber right wing is a meme, but I think it's true. <laughs> yeah, I could I could see that right because you're essentially uh, rebelling in opposition to the uh, the archetype and the femininity is archetypally left, so you're going to go right and then vice versa. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, and I could totally see that because, like, you know, 
I don't want to just pass this over because I think it's actually incredibly significant if we take it away from dating advice and we just go to life advice. If you're being encouraged, you're not being necessarily discouraged to develop in ways that would help you, though I think that probably happens too. Um, but even if it's just you're not encouraged to develop in the right direction, you're spending exorbitant amounts of time and then increasing amounts of time as you fail in the wrong direction. Um, and so, you know, if your your mom or other you know, women, you know, say, well, oh, I want a guy who's sensitive. I want uh, a guy who's willing to listen to me. Uh, you mentioned like, you know, doing sentimental things like getting flowers or, uh, you know, that type of thing. And you're you're not focused on let's say aspirations toward a gainful career uh you're not doing things to make yourself physically imposing right mm -hmm. um then you're no matter what you do on the fronts that you're being advised toward you're just never going to hit success and absolutely that would you know you'd almost feel tricked even if no one meant to do that i don't think no nobody sets their child up to fail intentionally well I imagine some like psychopathic individuals do, but that's. I actually nobody... don't think it's on purpose. I think it's instinctive. When yeah. that, even even when that happens, like it's like this responding to the desire to, uh, let's say, take vengeance not on the child. The child's like the uh, the, the scapegoat, the proxy, the thing that represents the the greater phenomenon you're taking. Uh, the punishment out on yeah. i've definitely seen people do that all right so that's that's the incel um let's say what's understandable or sympathetic reason for being resentful at hypergamy um now what happens you know to incels when they do and don't get over that because that's like a huge huge oh yeah this is this this was one of the main reasons we wanted to have this so like i think that the incel problem that is growing and it's demonstrably growing because of a numerous factors um like a big part of it is like the the tinder style app distribution of relationships has gotten really bad and absurd and uh it's gonna come to a head in more ways than one. You can already see the writing on the wall in places like uh, China, which they have these problems for different reasons, but the outcome is probably going to be the same. You have a bunch of men with absolutely no prospects, no hope for anything, because the male population is significantly higher than the female population by a, a considerable, unlike an apocalyptic margin. This is so bad that they typically buy uh, North Korean escapee slaves as wives. Yes. And there's a bunch of ones that go on adventures to Africa for business trips and stuff. And there, there was an article I saw the other day that, like, uh, Chinese men are creating a fatherless Africa. And there's jokes to be made about that. But we're not going to make those here. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, the... So this is the, the men who they're not, they, they're not able to, you know... Um, achieve the i think really fundamentally life success family meaningful uh existence because they they have no prospects of finding a mate which means they have no prospects of having children which means they don't really have a much of a reason or anything to take responsibility for so now their their lives are meaningless and uh they have this non-discharged will to power 
Uh, okay, yeah, so this this happened uh, at least one other time in history, and uh, people may know about it. It's uh, the Viking Age. So there was this period of time in which uh, in Norway, Scandinavia, the Danelands, all that good stuff, where there was an excess of young men and not a lot of prospects, not a lot of women to go around because of, uh, in Viking societies, men were allowed to have concubines, multiple wives and stuff. That stuff was, wasn't a pair up. So you just had a bunch of like mid to low status men who didn't have a lot of prospects or assets. So we had casuals. <laughs> yes. Yeah. By the way, so this is basically uh, the Viking uh, version of uh, the distribution on Tinder, right? Yes. Or or anything else. By the way, because uh, there are people who don't understand this, this is a Pareto distribution. Um, so, Nate, do you want to take the Pareto distribution? You, you, you can explain it. Okay. <laughs> so the Pareto distribution is sort of like this uh, version of a distribution like the bell curve. So for those of you guys who are familiar with the bell curve, it's when you have very few at the tail end, so very few scoring very low, very few scoring very high, and most people are average in whatever that is. So the, the Pareto distribution happens in competitive enterprises of all kinds. This is not just true for human societies, but for the, like basically anything in general that has a kind of a, can be described competitively. What ends up happening is most score somewhere around whatever might be comparable to zero relative to the high scores. And then all of a sudden around the 80th percentile, you see the graph, it's like a hockey stick going up. So that means uh, the easy one I, I know is the OK Cupid uh, data. Yeah, so that's the most commonly cited one because it's the most comprehensive. Uh, women tend to rate all, most men below average, and then there's just a spike where, yeah, yeah. Once you hit the top 80th percentile, then you you're average at that point. That means that there's a 30 percentile error. <laughs> right yes. which which is a huge deal because of the vikings what that meant uh is that uh 20 percent of the men had all the women yes so uh the solution to this was the elders saw that this was a problem back then and their solution back then we need to send these young men to find other things to do. Otherwise, they're going to be a problem at home. What kind of problems do you think these young men typically pose <laughs> to their, their native society? Like, what, what happens to the mind of a, of a young man who says, I had no prospects of a meaningful existence? Uh, Y'all know who Elliot Rogers is? It's like medieval Elliot Rogers. <laughs> well, tell, well, tell us, because actually, I mean... I listened to, it was back when I listened to a lot of Stefan Molyneux, yeah. uh, and, and let's not get into who, and he's all right, but um, <laughs> he read out the like, Rogers Manifesto. Yes. And in a certain sense, there, there's a, there are reasons, he was, he was kind of pathetic, but th there's some sympathies with Elliot Rogers. Like, I can understand how he got to where he did. Yeah. It, it's not mere narcissism. Yeah, right. like uh, I think that it's a chicken or the egg sort of situation. Did his was he predisposed to these problems before, or did the conditions that he was put in? Uh, I think it's an element of both, but also uh, I there's probably a biological determinist element of it just due to who he was. So what did he do? Because because I'm sure there's people listening to this who don't know who okay, Rogers, Rogers is. Uh, he is like uh, a meanie patron saint of incels who uh, does he have a fun title? 
Yes, uh, he has a couple different it's titles. The Supreme Gentleman. So. Yeah, so the Supreme Gentleman is the most common one. But yeah, uh, he was an incel who wrote a crazed manifesto about uh, so reordering all of society to cater to incels, and then uh, ran out and shot a bunch of people. Actually, he uh, killed the first seven people with a knife, yes. including his mother, I believe. I don't... I It was his roommate. Was his roommate? Okay. Yes. Okay, we got that part of the story wrong. Yeah, I don't think he killed his mom. Maybe that was part of his plan. Yeah. He did, he did denote exactly how he was going to do the murders. Yes, like, he laid all that stuff out. He didn't end up doing it the way he intended, though, because, uh, and he ended up, like, the plan was to, like, attack a sorority and stuff, which is like, yeah, I get that, that makes sense. But then he just, like, attacked random people, and that's, like, that's slow, that, that's kind of indi- indicative of low impulse control. Like, he just, like, oh, man, I am inconvenienced at plan A. Time to just do whatever, I guess. Anyway, but that's besides the point. So, yeah, Viking Elliot Rogers. <laughs> so that's an important detail, actually, that you say that. Because what that signifies to me, anyway, is that when you are uh, possessed of this spirit, uh, as I like to, to the say. The spirit of vengeance. The spirit of vengeance, right? And when it comes over you, it is the... Uh, metaphorically because i'm not religious but i like to i I can't help myself but use religious language um i don't know why but it's it's like being under possession of the same thing that took over cain and it's like you are resentful at the arrangement of existence uh, that would be like being resentful at god and what do you do you don't you can't take it out on existence you can't if you I can't power. change the world, I will destroy as much of it as possible. Yes, and that's why Cain kills Abel, and that's why Elliot Rogers killed a bunch of random strangers, because he probably couldn't really get his plan exactly how he wanted. He probably wasn't competent enough, like you said, probably low impulse control. Yeah. But he could go on a murderous rampage at random people as parts of the world. And that's what these fucking Vikings were going to do, right? Yeah, these guys who actually had, like, formal training and organization and were, like, war bands and stuff were just like, let's go steal other people's stuff. (laughs) Because otherwise they would have done the same thing to their own societies, I imagine. It would just get to the point where it's it's sort of like uh, L.A. gangsters. You're just, like, killing each other out in the streets so that you – just for the the feeling – of status that comes with murder. If uh, I'm sure this is this is perhaps dark, but I, I want to talk about it. It comes to mind. You know, when you if you're in a, a fit of despair, why is it that there's this homicidal impulse? And people talk about it, and it's in like really dark art. Mm-hmm. Uh, civil society kind of doesn't acknowledge it, but it's it's something that happens, and that is the flipping of the table, and also the 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 most desperate means of gaining status. You'll see gangsters do this, where if I want to gain status, or if you're in prison, right, you want to gain status, just kill a random person. Yeah. And immediately, you, because you kind of, Machiavelli kind of do this, if you can't be loved and feared, it's better to just be feared. Yes. Like, one of the big things, if you ever have to, if you ever have to go to prison, be known as the guy who uh, who, who killed another man in single combat. <laughs> I mean, no, really, because there's something in our monkey brains that both responds to it and gives us a drive to do it. You've got all of these men with no prospects of uh, essentially competing with the, the upper 20 percentile of men. If it was that low, it might even have been a starker uh, spike. Who knows? But, yeah. but they they're gonna they're gonna burn down all of your society. Yeah. So 
there needs to be a pressure valve. And that's where it comes into, I believe that due to uh, the return of history with like conventional wars coming back, and the economy doing worse and worse, and we're probably leading. We're probably going to see the end of American hegemony and stuff. I think we're seeing a new Viking Age soon within cells of our societies, but of particularly China in particular are going to be la be used as the foot soldiers to lash out at various institutions in some capacity. I don't know whether like civilizations are going to weaponize this aspect, but I definitely think that there's going to be like bands of men with no prospects be just flying out to loot and destroy things. And that's like the best you could hope for is they do it elsewhere. Yes. So, like, uh, I was talking with him before this, and I used the example of, like, what if it was something like Mad Mike Hoare's Fourth Commando, which was a mercenary group of a bunch of uh, Europeans and British guys who just had nowhere else to go, who went to Africa to be mercenaries for the highest bidder, led, led by this ex-British, like, officer. <laughs> yeah, and this, like, this is a huge issue. I think I might have brought it up before the, for you viewers, if you don't know the... I can't remember the actual name of this commonly called the mouse utopia experiment yeah. um is is exactly this uh where because uh mice happen to be hypergamous too mm -hmm. and what that means is that when you you make a utopia with mice uh, the problem is that the females will only mate with like a small selection of the males and over time what ends up happening is you get exactly what we have now which is uh, a bunch of the males become obsessed with their appearance and essentially uh, become effeminate mice uh which we'll call the perfect ones the and perfect then, ones are trans people anyway i don't know if they're trans people but certainly this is like this um what's a male preoccupation with things that are typically advantageous for females when competing on a, in a sexual marketplace, right? Yeah. Which means it's not going to work and they're not going to reproduce and they're going to be useless because they're not doing anything useful because men being useful is what typic typically, anyway, makes them successful in the sexual marketplace. The other group of men are also not useful and they just get in fights constantly, mm -hmm. right? And so that's... Oh, by the way, the result of the experiment was that there was a precipitous uh, population collapse which, uh, isn't Elon worried about that, Elon yes, Musk? absolutely. He has talked about that. He's talked about the birth rates. He's talked about the cons those concerns about social pressure and all that stuff. Uh, that's one of the reasons why he's become a bit more politically active lately Yeah, in his acquisitions. And if you don't think that's a problem, by the way, like, I'm sure some... Because the, the left did such a great job in the 90s and early 2000s of convincing everyone uh, that it's like that Malthus is right and that we're going to suffer overpopulation and all like deplete the resources, starve to death or have like nuclear war over a, a lack of sustainability. Malth like the idea of Malthusian collapse style stuff has reared its head since like forever. Like people have gone through periods of, oh, we're going to have too many people soon. And then it ends up not happening. How long ago did Malthus make these? It was more than a hundred years ago, right? I can't yeah. Remember. But like, like he was the first, he's the guy who they, they associate with the idea with, but uh, there have been multiple like iterations of that same idea. The idea that soon everything's going to come to a head because like, but usually technological development, like oops, compensates for the population increase. But I think that we're going to reach a point where, like, 
I believe that that stuff eventually stabilizes. Like, if our civilization can't handle those people, uh, something is going to happen to reduce those people. And that is not a... I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm not like a, a genocidal eugenicist or anything like that. But I, I do see it happening in that regard. Yeah, I have these weird predictions that pop in my mind that uh, what we're going to see is the uh, the hyperviolence, right? Um, whether that's uh, externalized or not, uh, I think we're going to see a return of um, what's it called uh, polygamy. I think for a time, yeah, uh, and you can kind of already see that with uh, the term like polyamory being yeah, a lot um, more accepted. Yeah, the poly polyamory is like a, a kind of a return to like pre-civilizational European longhouse culture. Not like uh, most people when they hear longhouse associate it with like the Nordic cultures, but they had a different thing going on with it. So like uh, pre-Bronze Age European cultures uh, tended to be more matriarchal in nature, and they would, um, um I, the comparison, I, I forget what monkey rate, uh, what, what monkey species, the bonobos, bonobos. are very similar in that, uh, they tend to have a bunch of weak, disposable, malnourished men around, like, earth mammy matriarchs. <laughs> See, I was thinking... And that's what, there. yeah, that's what the polyamory reminds me of, because typically it's one very uh plain well, will be nice plain looking woman with a bunch of uh soy jacks i don't know that that actually happens very often though my impression i mean maybe it isn't i because i haven't looked closely into this but my impression was that you on the face of it it looks like oh i'm a woman and i'm sleeping around with a bunch of different guys and maybe she is but it's actually not a bunch of different guys it's like uh all the women sleeping around with very few different guys and that yeah, ends up, like, if you think about the numbers, that's like a tiny proportion of men yes. with all the women, which is what, like, you know, strict, like, you know, one man, many women polygamy looks like. Yes, that stuff is definitely happened. That's been the baseline for a long time. But uh, whenever it comes to people who identify openly as polyamorous, those typically fall into the archetype that I described, where it's mm -hmm. like one woman who's king of a bunch of soy jacks. <laughs> it's... Uh, that's a they're, they're both of these things exist at the same time yeah uh, and this is probably a good place to veer into uh fem cells unless we want to talk a little bit more about the viking okay we'll talk about fem cells for a little bit uh fem cells they don't exist okay we're done no i'm joking anyway so like fem cells uh i have a harder time most of the time feeling more sympathy for because from what i've tried to engage with those communities to talk with them and stuff and typically they are even more so the bringers of their own sorrow than male incels tend to be. Because a lot of them, if you if you don't believe me, I want you to look up the female dating strategy subreddit. I think I've heard of this. Yes. It's, it's Machiavellian as all hell. Yeah, it's it's real like psycho behavior. It's great. Anyway, so if you I know that that's not all fem cells. That's not the reality of everybody's situation, but Whenever I think of it, I often think of that. Um, Let me make a defense of fem cells, and you can tell me how the internet might react. Okay. <laughs> so um, when I think of women who end up essentially as, it's not really fair to, to even call incels, because it's not that they're involuntarily celibate, it's that they're 
they're hypergamous like women are and are and are not willing to settle yes uh with the 80th percentile of men yeah. <laughs> available um and, and that's that's an exaggeration because obviously depending where you are in that arena distribution or bell curve respectively um determines what you consider to be highbrow or lowbrow but for the most part there are uh, i think women who have been lied to um for perhaps at this point generations so i kind of think that the traditionalists one of the things they absolutely have right was that human beings are biological in nature and therefore they have a nature they have instincts and proclivities that are very general generalizable and for women and for men if you're able to tell women and men what women and men are interested in then they can functionally find pairs without running this problem but if you lie in this case to women and say you actually have essentially an unlimited amount of time to date around it's liberating and empowering for you to be promiscuous um you shouldn't get married early you should value a career you probably shouldn't uh have children and if you have this desire to be a mother then like that's kind of just the patriarchy telling you that you have it um and you, you know get this huge slew of lies mm-hmm. and then you start to live the lies because like what the hell do you know as a young like a let's say a young woman which we could really kind of say 15 16 and onward as soon as you start to have sexual power which women have like you just if you're uh clearly a you know fertile woman capable of having children all you have to do is like bat your eyes and like get people men and women but just do things for you in a disproportionate way yes and i'm not even being resentful about it but just imagine what happens to your psychology when you can do that Mm -hmm. and you can lean on it you you go you know you go through life you believe all these lies why would you have reason to to doubt them until you're like in your mid thirties. Yeah. Then it becomes really urgent. <laughs> yeah. Well, you get a, a signaling to your biological clock saying, Hey, have children, have children, because like, this is your last hurrah. And, you know, I want you to reproduce because only your ancestors who reproduce had their genes passed on. Um, so of course, you know, you're going to have evolutionary psychology and biology pushing in that direction. Um, and then and for a lot of women at that point, it's too late. And yeah. then now, you're in a situation where, okay, well, I'm on the mating market. I want to find a good man. And I would say we're not being resentful because it's reasonable not to be resentful for women being hypergamous because only the hypergamous women had successful offspring, basically. Yeah. So, like, it's not unreasonable to expect a partner to be good. And it's not unreasonable to say that the men of our generation and stuff do have flaws that they need to improve upon. So yeah. uh, that, I'm not, I'm not, you know, saying that that is incorrect. No, it's not incorrect. And, you know, I'm, it is, let's not be resentful about it. But then what happens with fem cells? It's like, okay, now you're competing with women. Like, let's be generous about this. Eighteen and up, mm-hmm. and like the problem is we talked about before. Well, men are attracted to, uh, let's say, superficial aspects that are markers of fertility. And so if you're competing based on that, you're kind of out of luck. Like, and there's not much you can even do about it, right? Like, maybe the 18-year-old can screw up her prospects through sheer effort and negligence of her own health. But, like, other than that, 
um like yeah there's not a whole lot you could do it doesn't matter what career you have like because like to be to be frank men don't care yeah man like this has been said to death a million times in a lot of different uh venues by uh like even outlets bigger than this one it's like men don't care about females economic prospects because they're way more like they're way more concerned with the idea of them being successful in their own right and appealing to a woman your if you're if you're a woman listening to this your economic prospects mean nothing in that actually they're negative like the poorer you are as a woman the more men with that both will be attractive to you and um that will would say enjoy being in a relationship with you because they'll feel better about themselves so your economic like wealth and, and prosperity is a net negative on your your dating prospects there's a trope of medieval or renaissance literature of the voluptuous barefoot gypsy woman that is the ideal woman <laughs> uh, there's something else i wanted to to to, to point out there um to also like as a this is something I think people miss out on and that this is part of the phenomenon of fem cells, but um, oh man, I hope these people don't listen. They won't listen to this. So <laughs> it's in uh, the coffee shop I used to work at, right? And there were a couple, um, let's say, around about age 30 women and they were uh, knocking on this guy who had a history of only dating like very young women. Now this guy actually also was uh, kind of a predatory loser and he would target like... Teenage, yeah, teenage girls with uh, severe daddy issues. So they had reasons to knock this guy. They're not wrong on that. But they were obviously resentful that this guy uh, was interested in essentially would, would be like fertile aged women. Um, and their idea was like, oh, because you can't uh, get a woman who like knows her stuff. And it's like, look this fem cells and potential fem cells you don't want the or i should say it this way around the man doesn't want a woman who knows her stuff he wants a woman who thinks that he knows his stuff so that he can continuously impress her and that's also what the woman wants yeah to be constantly impressed like the more like obviously there's risks with being dependent on another person but if you, if you think of it purely from the perspective of a relationship like you don't want a man who a woman women typically don't want a man who they could they could do all the same stuff that he can like what do i need you for would be like the sentence that would come after and yeah it's it's like people women don't even want to date their equals that's that's a meme and men don't want to date their equals either women want to date men who are better than them and men want to date women who are less adept than them but also very attractive yeah well it's, it's funny actually because men would date women who are as competent as them but they know that the women will not like that's yeah, gonna work out yeah it's it's yeah. like men would date tall women like like I, I know very few men who actually have a problem with the height of women except that he knows that she'll have a problem with his height yeah it's <laughs> Yeah, that's, uh, I, I don't know where it came, like, there was this joke going around that uh, certain men think tall women are disgusting, that's, that's, I've never seen that, but if it, it I guess everybody's got preferences, but yeah, um, where was I going with that? I had something I wanted to segue into with that, but now I We'll see if it comes up, but yeah, so the phenomenon of fem cells, I think, that was my defense of fem cells, my very yeah. long, lengthy defense is that actually, 
I think women have been lied to in the same way that men have been lied to. Yeah, everybody's been lied to. We live in uh, the 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 iron the iron prison of lies or whatever some BAP thing. <laughs> yeah, and so that's my defense of. I mean, I, I kind of excoriated myself in some in some some of that, but uh, but yeah, I, I think it's not um, it's not like oh, well, this is an inevitable result of female biology, which I think you do see in some of the uh, more extreme incel circles, right? Yeah. Like the assumption that women cannot, they're slaves in a very uh, deterministic way to their biology. I personally believe that we are all slaves to biology to more of a degree than we'd like to imagine, but we still have agency. But um, Yeah, I call that embodied will, yeah. right? Like you can't do anything, but you have a range of options that are constrained by your physical and biological being yeah so like uh before we end the fem cell topic i've no uh the best bet if you are an incel listening well there's going to be some of you out there i know because i'm going to link you this but uh if you're an incel out there the best bet for you is to find a rare archetype of fem cell who is a fem cell because she is terrified of men because she probably like had an abusive father or something most of my friends who date have dated a woman with this archetype and it's been mostly a positive experience although she will tend to like be sad a lot <laughs> jesus christ if you can earn this woman's trust and treat her well you're 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 good it's good stuff. Yeah, I imagine there's some difficulty there because I also imagine such a woman has a bad measure of men. Yeah, um, she will be amazed that you treat her well. It'll be like, so there's a meme about uh, I want a dumb girlfriend because she thinks everything I do is genius and amazing. It's the same kind of thing, but more on a social, emotional level. So it's like, oh man, you don't hit me when I do things wrong. You just... You just point it out and then fix it? Wow. <laughs> Jesus, some grim advice. Uh, watch out for insecurity issues, I guess. It's a problem. I, I know that's dark advice, but... <laughs> the the usual advice for incels is like, work on yourself, bucko, like the Jordan Peterson. Oh, no, I advocate for that too, but... Uh, but yeah, actually, there might be something to, uh, say lower your standards in terms of what you're willing to accept um i used to say that but then i've come to the conclusion that like male standards barely exist as it is in reality like the main exception is like uh don't be too fat and even then it's really generous it's a lot more generous than you would think it is yeah absolutely like absolutely yeah the um again i think this is a lie perpetuated by feminism in fact uh when Nate was at university, um, we'd hang out. And because uh, I graduated perhaps like a, a couple of years before when he was still there, but I would come by because I was part of like a martial arts club there. And there was a poster on the dormitory wall about body acceptance. And I remember we had this little conversation about how the feminist representation of what is acceptable by men is by by far vastly more constraining than the actual amount of like body shame yeah that goes like on. they're whenever it comes to men's attraction to women 
men are attracted to like 98% of exi- there are men who are attracted to 98% of existing female body types while on the reverse side i feel like a lot of that is feminist projection because they only think like a handful of body types are generally positive yeah with a few exceptions there are women who are willing to branch out but it's it's very like there's no boss body positivity movement for men there's no people who think job of the hut should be treated like he's attractive <laughs> oh, no and you kind of see that with um let's say uh, antagonism amongst women like the 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 people who abuse women the most online are other women yeah by and far and that's i think it's true in person as well yeah um so we, we've kind of gone far in the field for incels and we talked a little bit about fem cells uh i know we're, we're, we're strapped for time um do we want to we kind of already covered fake cells as well, right? Yeah, like the, there's subcategories in cell, yeah, that exist mainly because they associate with the community, like myself, but don't actually fall into the technical definition. Mostly out of like either sympathy or some kind of resentments or whatever. Yeah, it's it's the 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 fact is that in cells are actually all also fake cells in a way, right? Because it's not the like cell if they see- had access to just mundane like casual sex interaction they probably still harbor the resentment because they they've seen behind the curtain they know how the mechanics work and they hate the mechanics they hate the game more so and some of them hate the players too but that's yeah so so i guess to to kind of wrap this up we we have have uncovered that in seldom actually doesn't have very much to do with celibacy it has to do with um let's say a lot of times resentment at the say facts of life and the, the the fact that our modern society has crippled lots of both men and women's ability to form uh let's say single pair bond relationships that have led to just tons of men with very few prospects which results in let's say useless effeminate men but then also potentially hyper violent men that go out and do self-destructive and not just self-destructive, externally destructive things like murder random people like Elliot Rogers. They need to be organized by a great man and led into the deep uh, deep jungles of South America or Africa, and they need to carve out a kingdom for themselves. Now. That's uh, that's our solution from our friend Nathan. So uh, <laughs> thank you guys for listening. Share us around if you're uh, an incel and you or know a bunch of incels are in part of the community when they give me some corrections. This will be up on YouTube, so go ahead and, and do that in the comments there. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we go, I'd like to show my stuff again. So again, I'm uh, an author of weird fantasy fiction, uh, kind of a mixture of, uh, let's say, low fantasy and, and westerns and occultism. Uh, Wand of Smoke Broke is my novel out now. I'll have more stuff coming out here soon. It's just finishing up the beta testing phase. Uh, also, you can hire me as an editor if you've got a manuscript. Uh, what else am I going to shill? Oh, yeah, Wheeling Locals. Check out my free lectures at Ohio uh, County Public Library. That's going to be starting in January. I'll be posting stuff all about it. You can search me up on a bunch of social media at uh, Marquise D. Little. Uh, let's see, anything else? No, I don't think so. So thank you, guys. Uh, show this around and have a good one. All right.